Hello, you are listening to the OmniTalk Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with Microsoft, the AM Consumer and Retail Group, Takeoff, and Sezzle. OmniTalk's Fast Five podcast is the podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week, too. Today is April 14th. I'm your host, Ann Mazinga, and we are here once again to discuss all the top headlines making waves in the world of omnichannel retailing. Chris is out today, but in his place, I am joined by the dynamic duo of Chad Lusk and Haymont Kalbag of the Alvarez and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. Haymont, let's start with you. It's been a little while. I think there's a song that's like, it's been a while. Is that Nickelback? It might be. Anyway, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. Tell the listeners a little bit about you and your background. Thank you for having me on again. It's it's nice to see you. Uh, my background quickly is I joined the AM uh, Consumer and Retail Group about two years ago. I'm a partner with the group and I've spent about 22, 23 years now consulting to retailers globally. I started my career in the US. I lived in Asia for eight years uh, and have been back now for uh, seven or eight years. Most of the work I do is helping retailers that are on a cusp of transformation and transformation has been definitely top of mind for the last four or five years with with the seismic shifts that are happening in the industry. So it's great to be here and I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Yeah, we have a lot to talk to you about. And also joining us again, we have Chad Lusk. Chad, can you correct me on that? Is that a Nickelback reference that I threw? You're my music. My no, music no, guy. that would that would that'd be a stained reference stained. there. Stained. Yeah. Oh, same era, wrong artist. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. See, this is aside from your vast retail and operator knowledge, Chad, this is why I love having you on the show because I, I can go to you in moments of need, like trying to remember stained song lyrics. Get the musical reference right. That is yes. uh, that's 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 my major value add. <laughs> uh, but tell tell the listeners who might be hearing of you for the first time a little bit about your background at CRG. Sure. So I've been with CRG for about 18 months now, but as kind of our distinctive model plays out, deep former operator, so multi-time chief strategy officer, chief marketing officer across CPG and retail, and I predominantly focus on broad-scale commercial transformation, so consumer-led growth strategy, marketing, business model innovation. Excellent. Um, We're really excited to have you both here today. Um, I just want to give a quick shout out to our listeners, those of you who gave us reviews this last week, um, and a quick plug before we get to the stories. Please, if you can, uh, we want to keep making this content possible for all of you. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we ask that you leave us a quick review. Um, If you're listening on Spotify, give us a heart, a like. Um, And if you're on Google or Amazon Music, uh, please follow us and subscribe so that we can keep things coming and people can find the great retail content that we try to bring you guys every week. All right. Shameless plugs are over. Let's get to the headlines. You guys ready? Yeah. All right. Uh, In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Meta going full steam ahead on commerce in the metaverse. Zara's flashy new high-tech store in real life, Wakefern rolling out shelf-scanning robots, Santa Monica Place offering one-day leases to local and small businesses. But first, we take off with news once again stealing headline number one. It's out of Target. So headline number one, 
While it appears that every retailer and their mother had the same PR plan for Earth Day coming up next week, that is, my friends, expanding or launching a resale program. So there were a plethora of announcements over the course of this week from REI to Lululemon to PacSun, all announcing expanded resale programs. But today we are going to shift our focus to Target's announcement that they are on again with ThreadUp. So according to CNBC, Target has a new landing page on ThreadUp, the resale website, which features items from Target's private labels and limited time designer collections along with select items from luxury brands. It includes about 400,000 pieces priced at 90% off. And if you'll remember, Target did a previous partnership with ThreadUp back in 2015 uh, via ThreadUp's closet cleanout bag where customers would get gift cards for um, assembling goods at home, sending them into ThreadUp, and then uh, allowing those items to be sold on ThreadUp. Hey, Mon, we're going to go to you first on this one. What are your thoughts on this move from Target and some of the other resale moves that we mentioned in the intro? Um, you know, it's it's a really interesting move. But if I take a little bit of a step back and I think about, you know, Target and Walmart and Amazon, yeah. which are the big retailers that, you know, uh, dominate the retail news. It's very interesting to me how the three of them are taking very different approaches hmm. to how they think about innovation and expansion where I think Walmart's definitely been much more active in just acquiring assets when they see uh, moves. I think Amazon is definitely building on their own. And, and uh, uh, so this is an interesting move. I think Target's uh, clearly been innovative in the last couple of years. And I think this collaboration is in the string of interesting kind of moves for them. Right. I think ThreadUp plays in this very interesting intersection of two parts of retail that have really uh, grown a lot over the last few years. So when you think about off price and the idea of shared assets enabled by technology, mm -hmm. uh, things think Uber, think about Airbnb, things like that. This is right in the intersection. So I think the idea itself is explosive and it's great. Uh, and I'm not surprised that instead of uh, trying to do something on their own, Target's going to someone who is and I'm a specialist and right. has figured out how to do this. The challenges that I see, and this has always been the case for off-price um, uh, being online, is ultimately, you know, you have limited number of SKUs. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to develop digital assets fast enough? Um, and, you know, historically, that's why off-price has stayed away from, from online. Uh, so if it is resale, do you have the right digital assets in place to be able to market this effectively? So I think this will be an interesting experiment. Right. Um, I think all said and done, though, I think this will probably be uh, more PR than a revenue driver for Target. Uh, really? Okay. But that matters, I think, because uh, I think companies are trying to send the right messages and and invest in the long term. Do I really think in the next decade this is going to be a meaningful full portion of Target's revenues? Probably not. Okay. But does it allow them to talk about something that's interesting uh, and uh, uh, sustainable? Uh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. I think that you hit on all the right things there. You know, if I'm hearing what you're saying, like sustainability being one of the key PR moments that they're, be, they're able to produce from this announcement, especially when you think of Target and, and most of that is, you know, fast fashion, affordable fashion um, that really is kind of coming out of vogue with the next generation of shopper and, and this being a way to kind of capture that and still give a purpose to to investing that money at Target. 
in the apparel sector for sure. Chad, what do you think? Yeah. So as you mentioned, just the, the, the plethora of, of companies that are, that are doing this, the secondhand market's been gathering a lot of steam recently. I, and I actually thought you would include the Lululemon uh, yeah. trade-in and resale program as the headline this week. Yeah. Um, but I, and I think this is great that retailers are making these moves, especially in a high inflationary environment, right? Cause the name of the game is, is value. And so if this partnership is offering compelling consumer value in a way that's accretive to overall sales, then, mm-hmm. then it's a net good, right? The, right. the thing, the thing that comes to my mind here, and, and especially thinking about the difference between target doing this and say, Lululemon doing this is, is item durability, right? Mm-hmm. So Lululemon obviously has it, uh, but our target items designed to last long enough for a robust secondary resale market. Um, right. Given this is a test, it'll be interesting to see, because what I picked up from the article, right, there's two components of it. So it'll be interesting to see the difference between Target's own private label brands on this platform versus the more luxury brands that'll be on the page that aren't typically sold by Target in terms of what has the staying power. Yeah, Chad, that's exactly why I picked this one over the Lululemon one. I think the there's just so many pieces to this. The The fact that you know, one, you call out, which I think is very important to call out the durability of the target product and the demand of the target product. And also, I think, you know, bringing in target curating on a third party reselling website is a very interesting position for target to take. They're not, you know, that's not something typically that we're seeing from any of the other retailers who are playing in this resale space where they're not only putting their products on, but they're saying this is the target collection of items, a mix and match of own brands and luxury items. And I think that is that's what I think is unique about this particular story in Target stealing the headline. Now, I think what's becoming abundantly clear to me, though, with this goes back to what you were saying, Hamon, and that's that there is no wrong way to do resale right now. I think every retailer should be looking at all of the all of the options available right now. There are a lot of technology companies that are out there that are willing to help you solve the issue of trying to resell single individual SKUs. And there's something for every type of customer, too. I mean, the Lululemon example came out. At, you know, I read that at first and was like, five dollars they're paying lululemon is paying you five dollars to bring in a 78 dollar t-shirt and trade that in that's the margin that they're making on that is extraordinary um especially when you look at what those that t-shirt could garner somebody on a poshmark or or an ebay i mean you could get typically people could get you know at least 50 percent of the value of the item on one of those sites but then I thought about it more and it's like, no, you have some people who are going to just want to bring in their bag of Lululemon and just shove it off there. And even if they only get $50 from it, it still is simpler than them having to go through the motions of creating and developing and monitoring stuff on Poshmark. So um, just curious, you know, I see you both kind of nodding your heads. Um, it, are you guys in on, like, would you advise apparel clients right now to be considering this? Hey, Mont- maybe go to you for the last word here. Well, I, I would say, first of all, if you haven't uh, seen there, there's a TV show called Patriot Acts by Hassan Minaj. He did a, a really interesting episode on fast fashion. If you haven't seen it, I encourage you to go see it because he talks a lot about how so much of fast fashion is ending up in landfills in, right. in other countries. So uh, number one, the reason I would always ask clients to think about this, or at least my clients to think about it is, because you're fundamentally doing something good for the world. Right. And if not anything else, 
there is value in that, being a good corporate citizen. Uh, Do I believe this is going to create a fundamental change in business trajectory right now for a company? I don't think so. I think that's several years out, but it's the right thing to do. And it's the right thing to do because like both of you said, this is a trend that's only going to continue to grow. So by doing your testing now, trying different things, when this thing becomes bigger, you know how to do it. So that's why I think it's important to go after it now. Um, But uh, I will personally not be shopping in in this market anytime soon. Oh, you got to give it a try, Hamon. I got to tell you, it's been great. After you, Anne, you let me know how it goes. Oh, I've I've been doing it for the last couple of years, and I'm surprised. Like I've converted. I would say the majority of my shopping right now is done through resale sites. It's oh wow. I I couldn't tell. I couldn't have said that you know a couple of years ago, but I'm pretty pretty surprised. And I'm leading more with with value. I would say than the uh, than the sustainability angle. It's more like oh, I, I can get this really nice well-constructed piece that, you know, I wouldn't be able to buy at full retail, but it's still in great condition. And, and to your point earlier, like there's a, there's technology and there are ways that, that shopping this has become easier because it's, it's something I can quickly see online and, and the condition is verified and authenticated. So what's your favorite go-to site? Well, I would say like Poshmark has been a pretty popular one for me. Um, the Real Real also, um, but there, I mean, I think there's a lot of, and there's a, even on Instagram, like just buying stuff via um, Noisoff is another Instagram. It started on Instagram, and it was just one post a day of a cool item that you can, you know, buy by resale, um, and you just pay via Venmo. I mean, it was like very, very simple. But uh, but then, you know, that in combination with some of the, the upscale consignment, you, you can find some, some pretty remarkable items in there, I have to say. Well, speaking of fashion, uh, let's keep rolling on this one. So Zara is not just leading the charge on dopamine dressing. You guys know what dopamine dressing is? Yeah. Yeah, you're familiar with this trend. So dressing dressing for your feelings and wearing bright colored items to try to bring our bring our spirits up. But Zara is also providing customers with one of the first high-tech apparel shopping experiences to hit the market. Um, according to Euro Weekly, Euro Weekly, last week Zara opened an 82,000 square foot store in Madrid's Plaza España. Roughly half the store will be warehouse space and the other half will be showroom floor. The store has self-scanning pay-and-go services that allows customers to use their mobile devices to scan and pay for goods, either through the Zara app or without the app entirely. It also includes a robotic silo by Cleveron with a capacity of storing up to 1,500 orders, a cardboard recycling center for customers, and also an online return order point, a changing room reservation service, and all of this can be booked through the Zara app Hey, Mon, let's go to you again first. Um, what are your thoughts on this store? I was I was surprised. I just kept reading. It was like, and this, and this, and this. What do you think? It's, I mean, my God, that's a large store. Um, and, you know, I think last time I was on, we, I think, talked a little bit about Ikea. Yeah. And I have to say, you know, I, I, I admire these, several of these European retailers that are still family owned. And so they don't have the pressures of answering to kind of, uh, short-term shareholder uh, ask. So yeah. I think they've been much more innovative in trying new things. Yeah. I think this is pretty remarkable because this is a bold move. And and I think, you know, 
Uh, Zara has proven to be very thoughtful about being disruptive and thinking about big changes. Um, and I think this is kind of in line with that trend, right? I mean, yeah. I think to think about almost this kind of super Zara showing up, uh, and I think they, they're planning to roll this out in, in major cities. So in some ways, I think this is kind of the modern version of a flagship store that, that retailers have always had, right. except this is now kind of the new version because the role of the stores have changed, right? There is the idea of kind of the dark store, which is you're using your store partly for storage to do uh, delivery from online purchases. Exactly. It's about trial. It's about, uh, you know, technology being a part of the trial ecosystem. It's about, you know, frictionless checkout. And they've taken all of these best-in-class ideas and it sounds like they've put it into this one store. Right. And I think that's amazing. And I think, yeah. to take, and it's it's a bit, big, bold move, right? Because to have a flagship, you have to do it in a, a kind of, tier A locations, and those are the, probably the most expensive. And right. I, you know, uh, I think they're rolling it out, they've shared, they're going to roll it out into like five or six other major cities, which are equally expensive. So I think it's a bold move. Uh, I think it'll be one of those things that'll play the role of a flagship, which is, it is the place you go to experience the brand right. and, and to get exposure to the latest things the brand is doing, uh, especially in an environment where I think online adoption for fast fashion continues to grow. So I, I give them a lot of kudos for, for trying something new and exciting. Yeah. And I think uh, I would not be surprised if this type of a flagship is very much more common for other brands in the years ahead, because I know several of our clients have, have toyed with the idea of creating something like this. Um, it's not entirely surprising because if you remember when Neiman Marcus opened their largest store in um, Hudson Yards in New York, maybe two or three three years ago, a lot of the language that they used around what was going to be in the store mm -hmm. was very similar things, with the exception of Zara talking openly about warehousing space, right. which I think is a very interesting play. And it's really about having a dark store that gets product to consumers faster. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a that's a great call out, Hamon. Like we've heard a lot of retailers talking about rolling these things out or conceptually doing these things, but Zara is, you know, has pulled this off all in one store with one big bang release. So I, I think you're right. That's something something that we all should be paying close attention to, especially people in the apparel sector. Chad, what are your thoughts? It's a lot of flash, right? Yeah. Uh huge store. I'm curious about the merchandising assortment that would actually fill it. Um, but I don't know, Have guys. You, when you gotta... was the last time you were at a Zara, Chad? I mean, that place is bonkers. I mean, there's you're, you're just like, there. Could, how could there be another room? They have added some categories too, like makeup and lingerie and stuff too. So fair, fair, fair enough. And maybe a store <laughs> visit to Madrid needs to be in my future here in order yes. to check this out. But I don't know, guys. I mean, like, you got to tell me what I'm missing here. Like, you know what actually got me the most excited about this whole thing, sadly enough? Like the cardboard recycling <laughs> tenor, you know? I mean, like, like that's real ESG practicality, but yes. I don't know. I mean, the the it didn't feel as tech forward as the magnitude of the list of things really were for me, right? Wow. Like scheduling changing rooms didn't see all that impactful, like scan and go got it like does it actually take it to the next level like the article indicates 
you know, the whole replenishment silo, like glorified shoot system that really only works for large, you know, large kind of stores. I mean, there's a lot of attempted logistics technology of like, get in, get out, replenishment. But what, what was missing for me was any technology related to the actual shopping experience, like the dynamic and interaction between customers and the merchandise, like Mm. where's fit technology, where's digital shelves, where's AI driven smart dressing rooms, right? Like it felt a lot more like smoke and mirrors to me than anything. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I think we have to go. This is on Chris and my list. Like when this came out, this news came out last Sunday, Chris and I were like, we are going to Madrid. We have to see this because I think like I wanted to like take a moment and have all of us who've spent their Saturdays, like trying to buy something from Zara in that line, like hold their lighters up in the air and just be like, all right, guys, the moment (laughs) has come. This is the store for us. It's not going to do that anymore. I and see I saw this and I was like they they're coming in they're coming in hard they're sweeping Amazon style with a lot of the the I mean I think just deploying scan and go technology alone letting me get into Zara and buy something see something that I want and buy it and walk out is like that solved a major pain point for the Zara customers right then and there with just that thing. I agree with you. You know, the um, Amazon's also trying this reserve a fitting room, send things to the fitting room. Zara fitting rooms haven't been open. They're impossible to get into. It's another line you have to get into. So if they can, you know, it's it's clear to me that Zara is really solving pain points for their customers. Now, whether or not it's going to be as simple as, you know, we, they make it sound quite another thing, but um, but I think that there's a ton of potential with this. We've got to go check it out because Chad, I think your your concerns are valid. We got to see it in person and see what see what we think about it. What I, what I hear you saying, Anne, is happiness is a low base, and so if you can solve <laughs> those right. issues, then great. Then it looks very future forward. But yeah, right. let's uh, let's book a trip to Madrid. I'm in. All right, all right, I love it. Um, All right, you guys, let's go to headline number three. If Zara's new store isn't enough for you to get into physical retail, then this next headline is for you because Zuck has said that Meta is ready to test virtual goods in the metaverse. According to CNBC, Mark Zuckerberg said that Meta is testing new tools that allow creators to sell virtual assets and create experiences within the worlds they build on Horizon Worlds. Zuckerberg said, quote, the ability to sell virtual items and access to things inside the world is a new part of the e-commerce equation overall, end quote. Um, Over the course of the next few months, companies and individuals have been snapping up everything from arts to real estate and virtual worlds on platforms like Decentraland and The Sandbox. But it looks now as though Zuckerberg wants to let users do the same thing on Horizon Worlds, which for those listening, um, that was formerly Facebook Horizon, which is the free VR online video game that allows people to build and explore virtual worlds. Meta published the Horizon game on its Oculus VR headsets in the U.S. and Canada on December 9th. But this is still yet to be rolled out worldwide. So, Chad, virtual products, the metaverse, Meta's all in. What are I got? I just have to know what are you guys doing? I'm sure your clients are reading these things and coming to you thinking, how the hell do I approach this? What are you telling them? First of all, when you first started OmniTalk, however many years ago, did you ever think you would read a headline like that? Like uh, this is, you know, for anyone who's read, um, you know, you know the book Ready Player One, yeah, or watch the, yeah. the Spielberg movie version. Like for those who don't know, it's basically this like dystopian sci-fi novel about an immersive virtual reality game. Like 
doesn't this feel eerily similar? Like, I feel like if this ultimately works, like Zuckerberg should get like a best adapted screenplay Oscar or something like that. But I, so listen, I, this will never be me as a participant. Sure. Never, never say never. But but we also, to your point, we don't advise our clients based on sample size ends of one, right? So we have had clients and brands come to us asking about NFTs, the metaverse, yeah. how it all works and whether they should get involved. So first, just kind of a statement around you know, the metaverse and where it's going. Like, like Meta's clearly playing the long game here. Mm-hmm. I actually caught your, your interview earlier this week with uh, Meta's with VP of, of yeah. commerce. Yeah, Emma. Yeah. Uh, she said the same thing, right? Metaverse commerce is super early and that's for physical goods, right? Uh, but it has an opportunity to serve as she explained this new channel, right? One that's about discovery, inspiration, some form of exclusivity. So Listen, if consumers are drawn in any form to creators and influencers on this platform today for physical goods, as they seem to be and Emma supported, like imagine the bounds, you know, without the bounds of physical reality where people can live in these alternate dimensions, be who they want, brand themselves how they want. Like maybe it's escapism. Maybe it feels more immersive. Maybe there's some other psychological factor at play. I don't know. Right. But I watch what my son does with, you know, his Fortnite Xbox game or NBA 2K characters. And you can imagine how this would actually take off. And for me, that's the story here. Like what becomes of the metaverse? Right. And so, you know, I, I, I don't think we're at the point yet that if you're a brand and not thinking about the metaverse that you're late, like we're, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. But if you are thinking about the metaverse, like I'd use it as experimentation ground, right? So invest in creators, build these immersive experiences and use this as a mechanism to supplement messages that you're, that you're sending elsewhere. And so, you know, one of the things I'd say is like when I, uh, as a former CMO, I enjoyed working on big brands that had loyalists that Mm -hmm. were tapping into consumers' desire to share. And what they were doing by sharing brands is it was really acting as a reflection uh, on themselves. And it said something about themselves, right? So they're your best influencers. And if someone wants to wear a t-shirt with a Twinkie on it because they love the brand, I wanted to provide them the mechanism to be advocates of the brand. Right. And so I'd think about NFTs and the metaverse in these early stages in that way. Yeah, I, I love that. I think I would echo almost everything that you said, Chad. That was my points exactly for this, where if you haven't, listeners, checked out our interview with Meta's uh, VP of Commerce for Business, Emma Rogers. We just released that yesterday. Check out that interview because she does emphasize exactly what Chad said. Somebody from Meta explaining the metaverse, and that is, you know, continue to develop your partnerships, get with creators. They're the ones that people are going to be following into these environments. And I think the other the other point that she said that I just tag on to that is that, you know, you need to maintain your brand's authenticity in your approach. Just because Nike's doing it does not mean that your approach should be the similar one. And I think Chad, you hit on that really well, talking about you know exploring NFTs. How do you? How are you as a brand providing opportunities for brand advocates to you know support you in in this space? The same way that you know it was when we started mobile too. I mean, that's I think she used that example as well. It's like the metaverse is what mobile was maybe you know 10, 15 years ago now. Heyman, anything you'd add in closing here? <laughs> Oh God! Um, 
So there, there is a part of me that is just dying to tell all our clients, this is the craziest and the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I, it just, it is, it's very hard to explain the inherent value of something to a retailer that doesn't really exist because we've all grown up in an environment where retailers are selling to us as consumers mm-hmm. products that we can touch and feel and experience. And what's changed dramatically over the last two decades is how we buy them, but the end product is still something tangible and that he use. So now think about a, a revenue stream of business where you are creating something that you are not experiencing as a tangible, but in the virtual is to me unbelievable. Yeah. And but I I completely agree with Chad. You know, I also have a son and I see how he interacts with the virtual world and the satisfaction it gives him. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that's to me the inflection point, right? And that inflection point when that happens, and when when the group of you know people who are between the ages of five to 15 today, when they become the primary consuming uh, population, I think this thing is really going to take off. So I, the fact that companies are making investments now to make that more available is in reality, the virtual world is not really that great right now. But I think what Meta is doing is encouraging development to pay dividend 10 years from now when it's robust enough. Um, is it possible that at some points everyone turns around and says, this was the craziest and the dumbest thing we <laughs> spent time doing? Very possible. But you know- It was uh, fun while it lasted. I, I remember thinking the same thing when Bitcoin was being talked about five years ago, so. Right, right. For our listeners who are feeling what we are all feeling uh, here and want to be brought back to the real, to the physical, we'll, we'll move on to headline number four. Um, we are talking about Santa Monica Place welcoming small and local businesses to their mall with short-term leases. So according to Chain Storage, Santa Monica Place, the luxury mall located next to the highly trafficked Santa Monica Pier, has signed up for Mesa Rich's Quick Space program which allows retailers to rent space from one day to 12 months and offers them tools for managing accounts, making payments, renewing leases, renting storage space, and more. Santa Monica Place is offering up to 15 spaces, totaling uh, 5,000 square feet, just over 5,000 square feet. Uh, Chad, we're going to go to you first. We spoke to Leap earlier this year that's working um, on offering similar services to D2C brands, but we're talking one day leases here. Um, as a, as a former CMO, like can can a brand really determine what the viability is of running a full store operation in one day or one month? What do you think about this? Well, I mean, so I, as I understand it, one day is a minimum, and you can do you can do terms beyond that, right? I mean, right. I, I think overall, I think this is really cool to see, right? Yeah. So there are many casualties of COVID, mm-hmm. like blowing out the candles of a birthday cake that serves everyone, right? I I hope the (laughs) long-term retail mall lease is another one, right? Like, yeah, it's going to be a little bit more expensive, um, but it's much more retailer friendly to align your physical occupancy time horizon with your scale up, right? 
And so I like this as a mechanism to not financially cripple a retailer before they get started. That's kind of on the surface. But the other reason I really like this is because of the nature of what you get with short-term commitments and and timing flexibility. Mm -hmm. So this is great for retailers testing locations and store concepts, great for pop-ups, um, generally good for fueling experimentation, innovation, and, and dynamic offerings in malls where there's typically a staleness factor. So right. yeah, I do see the value in it and I hope we see more of it. Yeah, I, I agree. I was just walking some mall properties on Monday with some developers and it is pretty bleak. I think at the very minimum here, it does offer something activating these windows that have been dark for so long during the pandemic. Um, hey, Mom, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts here? I agree with you guys. I mean, it's, um, a, I'm, I'm just glad that, that real estate developers are driving some innovation into the business because right. the role of the stores has changed so much. So that's good to see. I, I like the angle that they're creating opportunities for startup and new businesses that don't want to sign a 10-year lease mm-hmm. to get and establish their brand with a limited retail footprint. And I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah. Outside of that, probably not a big event for me as far as retail news goes. Right. Yeah. I think the the thing that I would I would caution brands about and really thinking about going into these mall properties is still, you know, how much when you're thinking about your strategy of going in as a pop-up, how much of these short-term leases is really going to inform your long-term go-to-market strategies. Like just because a pop-up is working in, you know, three months during the summer and you're selling flip-flops and bathing suits does not mean that, you know, that or or the cost of that investment, you know, staffing and all these other things, which is why I I'm mentioned leap earlier i think that there's more to the business component of this so you, you just really need to be careful about you know the the quick spaces not being the the model that you use for building the the future store model but let's move on headline number five so wakefern is piloting shelf scanning robots according to supermarket news wakefern food corporation is uh which is the nation's largest grocery retail cooperative plans to test the Tally shelf scanning robot by Symbi Robotics, which will enable autonomous inventory management. Wakefern will deploy Tally at selected stores throughout its trading area, including some ShopRite locations, joining Hy-Vee and Schnucks Markets who are already using Tally in their stores. Chad, we'll go to you on this final one. What are your thoughts on this investment? All right. So, and maybe I've become a little too much of a child of, of OmniTalk oh, no. here, but- oh, no. um, Chris isn't on the show today, but no. I'm going to make a Chris-like hyperbole. Oh, Ready for gosh. It? Oh, man. Here we go. So after contactless and just walkout technology, I believe this is, or at least should be, the next biggest wave in retail tech. No. Right? It go, so specifically the Symbi robots? Well, whether it's robots or not, but okay. but but on-shelf monitoring, visibility, Shelf scanning technology. technology, right? Okay. So- so uh, Dave Ritter from CRG, yeah. multiple, multiple time uh, podcast attendee here, he and I wrote a paper together uh, almost exactly a year ago at this point about how new computer vision AI technology capturing this real time shelf data has the ability to finally close the age old retail problem of on shelf availability. Right. Right. So let's talk grocery in particular. So Pre-COVID, out-of-stock rates routinely hovered around 8% with spikes of 10 to 15% on promoted items. It just became accepted and commonplace and, quite frankly, unsolvable in grocery retail. So 
Uh, we and others have referred to it as the trillion dollar black hole because that's what this eight plus percent gap is worth in right. lost sales. So flash to COVID, ever since the height of 40 plus percent stock out rates, supply chain disasters that we've had, we still haven't even gotten back to, to 8% yet. Mm -hmm. And so the issue has been this huge visibility gap between inventory in and POS monitor sales out to know what's actually happening on shelf and, and what's available for sale. So try to make it brief because we could do an entire podcast <laughs> on this. But um, so, so Dave and I wrote this paper and we got, we got the benefit of, of real shelf data and, and insights from the CEO of another company that does this. They do it with phones and drones, uh, Richard Schwartz from, from Pensa Systems. Yeah, we, yeah. Wrote it, we wrote it as a call to action for retailers and CPG brands because these guys can, can benefit significantly from the data for a series of use cases, right? So right, think right. about- next generation demand planning and dynamic allocation by store, um, alerts to, yep. to in-store associates for execution and replenishment, accurate on-shelf availability information for pickers and BOPIS, mm -hmm. planogram compliance, and you know, just flat out not frustrating customers or losing sales because expected product isn't there. So right. this is a big, big unlock to improve both the customer experience and, and drive more efficient operations. So have I, have I sold you? Yes. You, I mean, I was, I was on board. I heard this headline. I was like, everybody watch out for Wakefern because they're about to blow up. I mean, they just signed with Trigo. They're going to be the first in the U.S. to de deploy check out free technology. Now with the inventory visibility that they'll have between those two efforts, I mean, that place is going to be one of the like banners, I think, in the U.S. from a grocery market. The other thing too, Chad, that I would add that I know Simbi's like, it's not as common uh, that people are aware of this, but also the pricing data, you know, the amount of money, the revenue to be uh, recuperated when you start looking at on-shelf pricing and promotions and what's there and what's not, and I believe they have like these printers that can go in and like you know on the on the money just go in and swap prices with the flex with the frequency that those prices are changing. So in addition to having product available and on the shelf, it's you know are you getting the right amount of money or are is your customer seeing the promotions that you have going on? Yeah, and I'll I'll add another one from a CPG perspective because I first started looking into this technology as a CMO at a CPG company, right? And having the ability to understand store level sales relative to your shelf positions, yep. your adjacencies, what actually happens if I sit on second versus third shelf yep. or if I'm directly next to this competitor, the value of a brand block, like being able to, to measure all of that with that level of, of specificity is is tremendous absolutely yeah. hey Mon, you're you're shaking your head uh what would you add I'm shaking my, well chad and i work together a lot and and we are uh good teammates but so i hate to disagree with him in public but i agree with 50 percent of what he said uh which is i believe on-shelf availability is is the big opportunity for okay. retailers and uh the part which maybe i might disagree with a little bit is 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 robots walking around the store the right way to address that opportunity because most of the on-shelf availability issues that retailers have are not because they don't know what's on shelf. The major issues are because supply chain is not working the way it's supposed to. Okay. And stores don't have the product that they need to put on shelves. It's not because they don't know that a shelf is empty. Most of the time, a supermarket has empty shelves is because that back room doesn't have the product to replace it with. Yeah, you know, you get the tagging wrong sometimes. Sometimes you forget to replenish. 
But the biggest issue is, by, in my mind, for sure, supply chains. And okay. But I agree with Chad, that's the big opportunity. Do I like to see robots in retail stores? I kind of do. I think this is kind of a cool thing that's going to be, you know, you remember that when it's something, I think they still have them. You go to a hotel and there's a yeah. mini bar and you pick up, you know, a, a drink from the mini bar and there's a sensor that knows yeah. that you've taken it and they charge your room. So the idea of this technology has existed. You combine them with what's going on with autonomous cars and you have these cool robots walking around uh, the store that they actually, I, look, I saw a picture of it. They actually make them kind of look cute and like, it's the googly eyes for you, Hamon. Yeah, right? That's what so, did it for you. Am I excited that we're trying this? Uh, absolutely. But I think this is the most uh, complicated way to solve the most immediate problems around on-shelf availability. It's the stuff that you were talking about and that Chad was talking about. It's the future applications that I'm really excited about. Uh, getting Having a promotion, but that promotion being displayed incorrectly and having the ability for... Right or a robot or artificial intelligence to pick that up. I think that's the big opportunity and that's the big unlock. Uh, it's not on shelf availability because hmm. a robot can tell you that the shelf is empty, but if you don't have it in your back room, right. that's not going to help you do much. Right. Yeah. The less sexy applications, but definitely um, those that are imperative for, for yeah. store operations. Um, all right, you guys, thank you. We are going to go to the lightning round. Um, Chad, we're going to start with you here. Chad, your first question. Dealers were apparently on alert for a green diamond weeks ahead of last week's big Benefer engagement. The actual engagement ring that they did find holds an estimated value of 5 to $7 million. Now, Chad, the most important question of all this is, what is the better J-Lo song, Jenny from the Block or I'm Real featuring Ja Rule? <laughs> um uh i i'm real is the is the better song but you know i mean jenny from the block i mean she used to have a little now she has a lot she's I mean, got a lot know, yeah <laughs> she's she got has, a lot she more. has an awful lot now <laughs> all right all right hey question number two for you panera is the first retailer that is evaluating miso robotics cook right coffee robotic coffee monitoring solution say that five times fast uh which which uh measures key coffee metrics such as volume temperature and time data to ensure that they're serving properly uh prepared coffee are you for or against robots making you the perfect uh, cup of coffee well i already kind of showed my hand about how you i feel did about you did I, I have to say it's it's a real pleasure in my life to go to a coffee shop and meet a barista wearing a beanie who has a bad <laughs> attitude who can't pronounce my name <laughs> or spell it uh that that is the highlight of, of my day so I'm, I'm gonna stick with with the baristas over robots even if the coffee machine has googly eyes what about Absolutely. that Absolutely. I, i'm sticking with my people <laughs> Chad, uh, Etsy sellers are striking over a 30% increase in transaction fees that Etsy will be collecting on goods sold. Which Etsy product would you be most willing to join the picket line for? The smells like Nicolas Cage soy candle or crocoons? Crocs made out of taxidermied raccoons. Oh man, uh, keep me far away from taxidermy and give me, give me, <laughs> give me, give me some of the musk. Absolutely. You, you want that Nick Cage musk. I, I want that Nick Cage musk. All right. All right. I'm putting those words down here. Um, all right. Hey, Mont, last questions for you. Lush has opened its first vending machine pop-up in London's Coal Drops Yard and King's Cross serving customers 24 hours a day. If on your next 
consulting contract, you could provide clients with a rider requiring that you have a 24-7 vending machine. What would you want available to you on a 24-7 basis? See, I'm going to do a 180 now and I'm going to go back to coffee. Robotic oh. coffee 24-7. Okay. A good, a good cup of espresso anytime I want. That's what I would put the rider for. I like that. I think that's a great use case. Yes. You can go to the, you have the barista option when you want, but if, if you, if you are working on a project 24 seven, I think coffee exactly. is an absolute, absolute necessity. Um, well, thank you guys so much for playing along with us today. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to do that, Chad? Uh, yeah, a number of different sources. You can visit us on our website, uh, alvarezandmarsal-crg.com uh, or visit us on our new uh, LinkedIn business page, Alvarez yes. and Marcel Consumer and Retail Group. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, you can reach out to either Heyman and I directly uh, on LinkedIn. Yeah, that shiny new LinkedIn page dropped last week. It was pretty exciting. So we'll be tagging that in all of our show notes too and making sure that you guys know how to get in touch with the, uh, both Haymont and Chad and the teams at Alvarez and Marcel. I uh, want to wish a happy birthday today to Wynn Butler of the incredible band Arcade Fire, Loretta Lynn, and DeBrat, quite possibly the most strange Lollapalooza that could ever come together. Um, and remember, if you can only read or listen to one retail blog in the business, make it Talk. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news, and our twice-weekly newsletter tells you the top five things you need to know each day and also features special content exclusive to us and just for you. And we try really hard to get that all within the preview pane of your inbox. You can sign up today at omnitalk.blog or leave us a review where you're listening to this podcast. Thanks as always for listening in. Please remember to rate us on YouTube and also check out all of our coverage that we have from this past week. Uh, Meta's Emma Rogers, as we mentioned, Pure Leaders Lori Weston. And of course, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Fast Five is a Microsoft-sponsored podcast. Microsoft Cloud for Retail connects your customers, your people, and your data across the shopper journey, delivering personalized experiences and operational excellence. And is also brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances its clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Takeoff. Takeoff is transforming grocery by empowering grocers to thrive online. The key is micro-fulfillment, small robotic fulfillment centers that can be leveraged at a hyper-local scale. Takeoff also offers a robust software suite so grocers can seamlessly integrate the robotic solution into their existing businesses. To learn more, visit takeoff.com. Finally, Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four industry payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com.